We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills make me wanna Yeah, from what I understand, Bill's ownership called a meeting this morning to inform that there will be some changes taking place. The biggest change, of course, Greg Roman officially out as offensive coordinator after just two games. Now, this really does put an end to a simmering situation in Buffalo. There had been some frustration about the offense, the direction it was taken, and really the lack of some consistency. We see some of the big plays right here from Tyrod Taylor, the quarterback, but Last night, just watching that game, just knowing the thoughts of some people in Buffalo, they did not think it was consistent enough, did not like the product on the field enough to keep Greg Roman in as the offensive coordinator. Instead, they moved from Roman to Anthony Lynn. He'd been the running backs coach and actually someone who had had a ton of buzz in the NFL, had a head coaching interview or two last year, person who is certainly respected in the Bills organization and in the NFL. He now gets a chance to right this ship and uh, for the Buffalo Bills, hopefully for them, make this offense a little more consistent and a little more productive. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Rock Bell Report. I'm Drew Gear, your host. That's Chris Kruger, our producer, and that was Ian Rappaport from anything the latest Buffalo Bills tragedy, or I guess hilarity, depending on who you're rooting for. Now, so we want to stream of consciousness here. Friday morning, my girlfriend and I woke up, shook off the hangover from Thursday night, packed up the car, and headed north across the Peace Bridge for a weekend full of R&R. Okay? We had booked many, many weeks in advance a solid little suite at a place in downtown Toronto for the weekend. You know, the Bills game wasn't going to be on Sunday. It wasn't going to interfere with the weekend. She wanted to get up there, and I thought, why not? I've never been to Toronto and really gotten to explore it. So we go up there and we spent the day exploring the city. We hit the Eaton Center Mall. We found an amazing Thai restaurant that had the best dim dim sum assortment I've ever seen. And even got caught up in a feminist rally outside of Dundas Square in downtown Toronto. All in all, it was a pretty amazing day. But it was an amazing day because, you see, I had turned off my phone's service to block incoming calls and text messages. 
and made a conscious decision to ignore anything related to the NFL for the entire weekend. Watching that Bills game on Thursday pretty much sapped me of any enthusiasm I had for the game. I just needed some time to cool off. I figured that being immersed in hockey, good food, and whiskey all weekend from north of the border would be just what the doctor ordered. So, you can imagine my reaction on Friday night, late Friday night, as I sat on the couch in our suite, sipping five fingers of Wiser Double Distilled Rye, which I will recommend to anybody out there if you're, that, if you're of that whiskey persuasion. I'm sipping this on the rocks, and I'm watching the end of the Montreal Alouettes and Hamilton Ticats game, uh, CFL football, for those of you who aren't in the know, on TSN, because that's what you get in Canada. And I thought, this is great. I'm watching a football game. I don't have any stake in it. I'm just relaxed. This This whole day has been perfect. And that's when I saw it come across the ticker on the bottom of the TSN uh, broadcast about Greg Roman being fired by the Buffalo Bills. My reaction? It was a mixture of maniacal laughter, deep sadness, and just, like, I don't even know what. I don't even know how to describe it. But it was just comical that even hundreds of miles from Buffalo, unplugged from the grid, I still can't get away from things that go wrong with the Buffalo Bills. And with that being said, we're going to jump right into this week's Buffalo Bills News Update. On Friday, the Bills announced that they had terminated Greg Roman, offensive coordinator, probably the first truly effective offensive coordinator we've had in years. Now, I was refusing to look at any of the analytics, you know, and trying to like hold in, you know, trying to hold myself back from reviewing anything related to that game because it was just abysmal to watch. So my knee-jerk reaction was that this move was a mistake, and it was just short-sighted scapegoating by a coach who's feeling the pressure that goes along with a team that has high expectations that's falling off the rails. Ian Rappaport expanded on his audio from our intro in a later segment later on in the day on NFL Network explaining the severity of the situation. Yeah, this really was a move, Lindsay, that was coming for some time. In fact, there was some thought that, that this move would actually happen earlier, maybe even in the offseason. Instead, Rex Ryan decided to hold on to Greg Roman, especially considering he had the best rushing offense in the NFL last year and an unbelievably productive offense just as far as yards go, decided to hold off to see if it would work this year. Instead, after two games, Rex Ryan and the Bills organization, the ownership did have some say in this, believed that the best move was to move on at offensive coordinator and the fact that there was some dysfunction on display for everyone on Thursday night, including a blown timeout and then a failed fourth down conversion. They believed that this was the right time to do it because they had the extra long week after the Thursday game. That is one part of it. The other part of it is Anthony Lynn is a very well-respected assistant coach. He's had head coaching interviews. But he has not called plays. From what I understand, this is a new situation for him. But he is a coach that has the trust of the players and specifically the trust of head coach Rex Ryan. Now, that's a lot to swallow. You know, here's here's a guy getting fired from his job as offensive coordinator and being replaced by a guy who has zero offensive coordinating experience. And yet everyone seems okay with it, from the players to the coaching staff. Now, 
After coming home Sunday night, I was still refusing to look at any of the analytics because I was just ha- I, I was still on that high, that euphoria from being just away from all this nonsense. So it took me until Monday to really take a look into the situation and look at the numbers. And after reviewing them, I don't know that I disagree with the move. I mean, I'll get into our offensive woes in our next segment this week against the Jets. But suffice to say, when you lose a football game by six points and you realize that your time of possession wasn't even half that of your opponent and that they also almost doubled you up and completed first downs, it's an eye-opener to the fact that your offense just isn't efficient. And an an inefficient offense results in a tired defense, which doesn't bode well for sustained success in the NFL. Just ask touted, quote-unquote, offensive genius Chip Kelly. I mean, I think that's what cost him his job in Philadelphia. He tried to do too many things, too many cute things that worked in college at the NFL level. And it doesn't work here. And if you're not efficient on offense, your defense gets worn down by the end of a football game. Didn't he go 10-6 and six both seasons? Who, Chip Kelly? Yeah. Chip Kelly, no, because they would have made the playoffs at that point. No, there are a handful of times where you go 10-6 and six and you miss. Okay, well, the Redskins only won nine games and they won the division. And they must have gone like 8-8. Yes, eight and eight. they won 8-8. Eight eight. So the fact is, he wasn't good. He rubbed everyone the wrong way. The players didn't like him, so he was gone. Now, I also don't believe that this decision was made arbitrarily. After reading about how ownership met with the offensive leaders on the team privately, without the coaching staff involved, before consulting with Rex to make a decision. My guess, if I had to give it, is that there was a feeling that he was being conservative, or not even so much conservative, but rather than relying on what had worked last season, what made them the number one rushing offense, and what made them, you know, gave us hope in the passing game, some developing into something, he was trying to trick everyone by doing different things and playing away from our strengths. Obviously, that hasn't worked, and it led to a quote by Sammy Watkins to the Buffalo media. He was asked about the Roman firing, and his quote, which I'm going to grab here from Buffalo Rumblings, Sammy's quote effectively stated that he felt that there was too much. First off, he came out and publicly said that he thought that they needed to get Robert Woods involved, which I think anybody who's watched these first couple games can agree with the fact that a guy only being targeted, you know, he's your number two receiver and he's only been targeted three times. He's caught two passes in two games. That's not a number two receiver. So this was the quote that Sammy Watkins gave. Quote, unquote, the playbook is open to everyone. We got all the plays. Now we're just trying to get back to the basics of what we're doing, master the plays that we need to master instead of trying to trick people. I honestly believe after watching these two football games that Greg Roman felt that there was too much tape out there on his offense and so that rather than continuing to do what had made them successful in the past, he was going to try something new and play away from their strengths because that's what teams would look at, you know, look to try to take away. That is not how you win football games. Don't get cute. It's one of my favorite phrases in sports. Doesn't matter what sport you're playing. Don't get cute. Do what you do. If you have a strength, utilize that strength. If the opponent looks to take away your strength, you need to trust that you can still use your strength to get one over on them. Because otherwise you're gonna lose you're gonna lose in spite of yourself. See, I thought Sal Capaccio, WGR, came with an interesting point. 
he had said that around the facility, Greg Roman is known was known to be like a quote unquote mad scientist, where he wouldn't take any input from his assistant coaches, and he would just himself devise the game plan for said week. And I think that might say something to not utilizing your running backs coach, your quarterbacks coach, your receivers coach, your offensive line coach to implement a game plan. And it's just you. No, and and ultimately, I think that's what led to his firing. I mean, I think that after talking to the players, the owners, the other coaches, and the head coach, it was un, it was a unanimous decision that this guy's the odd man out. So I don't know. Well, I mean, that's that's big for us to fire our offensive coordinator week two. I don't. Besides Turk Schoenert, I can't remember another guy being fired this early into a season. Well, I was in, uh, in the uh, Buffalo Bills Fanatics group that's on Facebook. Somebody made a post about this, and I made a comment uh, about it, about the continuity of the coaching staff, which you'll get into in a second. But I had I was getting into it with uh, Ryan Lacell, Bills Fanatics show, and uh, Pierre Gabbert, the president of Bills Fanatics BF, and I had said, like, our, over the last 10 years, or uh, just offensive coordinator, is Curtis Modkins the longest tenured over the last 10 years at three years, and he didn't even call plays? Like, we have no, there's no continuity. Like, every one to two years, there's some change at the defensive or offensive coordinator position. And I did look it up, and I was right. Curtis Mockins, who didn't call plays as an offensive coordinator because that was Chan Gailey's business. He was here for three years and fired with Gailey. We don't get any continuity with our coordinator position. Now, as Chris alluded to, I've got – I mean, there's other news I could talk about, but I'll be honest. This is something that I was up at midnight last night still writing. Because I started down a rabbit hole and then just couldn't stop digging. And what I found depressed me so much that I had to get it all out, put it on paper, see how it looked. And now I'm going to talk to you all about it. So hopefully you can bear with me here because I've got an op-ed piece entitled, You Can't Fire Everyone All of the Time. I've got a list of names for you, Bills fans. Marcel Darius, Leotis McKelvin, Eric Wood, Marcus Easley, Kyle Williams, Lee Evans, Chris Kelsey, Angelo Crowell, Josh Reed, Ryan Denny, Aaron Schobel. Do you know what all of those players have in common? I don't. I can tell you that I love Josh Reed because he was in college at the same time my brother was a student at Auburn. So Paying attention to Auburn LSU games, I was always enamored with what Josh Reed did in college. Those players are the only ones drafted by the Buffalo Bills during the drought, going back to year 2000, that played significant roles for our team and actually earned contract extensions. 16 years, a small handful of names. I bet you're wondering right now how something like that happens. Well, let me walk you down memory lane. In 2000, John Butler was the Buffalo Bills GM. And in his final season, he drafted a group of players that consisted of names like Eric Flowers, Mario Haddad, and Avion Black. Hello, I've never heard of you before. That led to his dismissal, which gave us the Tom Donahoe era. 
in what was arguably the best stretch of drafting that we had during the early state, you know, during most of the drought. If you consider that for all the garbage pick picks we've had over the last 16 years, we landed Nate Clements, Aaron Schobel, Willis McGahee, Terrence McGee, Lee Evans, and Bolitnikov winner Josh Reed. Now, Terrence McGee, I'll admit it, I left him off that list. I forget about Terrence McGee because he was a very good player for the Bills, and he played almost his entire career here. He knew how to return kicks. He did, and he was a good, damn good cornerback for being as small as he was. However, for as good as the Tom Donahoe era drafting was, poor coaching choices in Greg Williams and Mike Malarkey, as well as a front office that didn't want to pay for its own talent, let alone bring in any significant free agent talent, led to a watered-down roster that was too talented to ever really bottom out, but not good enough to win consistently. They had completely and utterly failed to find a quarterback, even though other teams had gone out and landed theirs while we were still fumbling around through the process. I remember two drafts in particular. I don't remember. I don't recall the years. First one was a bust because I think he went number two overall, Joey Harrington. And then we had the next pick. And then in 2004, Pittsburgh took Ben Roethlisberger. And then two picks later, I think we took Lee Evans. Mm-hmm. So we like we get stumped at quarterback there. Most notably Roethlisberger. Who the hell? Who give? Who gives a rip about Joey Harrington? In 2006, Hall of Fame coach Marv Levy was named GM in what was basically a giant PR move in hopes of winning over fans that were very quickly jumping off the bandwagon. However, the drafts that followed were god-awful and produced another batch of subpar coaches in Dick Duran and Chan Gailey. Russ Brandon stepped in momentarily, but he's a PR guy. He was never a suitable GM. So now you're talking about another era of Bill's history. No quarterback. And then you've got draft picks like you took Dante Whitner when Holote Nada was still on the board. You traded up into the first round to get John McCargo. And then you took a wide receiver named James Hardy in the second round, who was too gangly and lean in the body to ever really play the wide receiver position in the NFL. Is this also uh, an era of trade-up for J.P. Lossman? When did we get Lossman? Because we traded that up was, with Dallas. That was earlier. No, that was earlier. That was before. you got to figure when Lee Evans got drafted, J.P. Lossman got drafted right after Lee Evans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, J.P. Lossman was that same year, in 2004. Because yeah, we traded up back into yeah. the first. But then there was the whole J.P. Lossman, Trent Edwards, Kelly Holcomb debacle. So we just juggled crappy quarterbacks. So, now, what I'm trying to get at here, guys, and then another thing I want to tell you. Most of the players, I, I dare you to Google oh, Buffalo what? Bills draft history. Take a look at the drafts that happened between 2000 and 2010. What about Aaron Maben instead on. of Rockpo? Got to let me talk here. Most of the players that the Buffalo Bills drafted during that span, either A, weren't retained by our front office because they didn't want to pay them in free agency, or B, weren't good enough to play football and washed out of the NFL completely within two or three years of being released from the Bills. So what you've, what you've seen here is a decade's worth of GMs and coaches who couldn't get it done, who couldn't allocate talent, who didn't have an eye for talent, and who effectively allowed this team to fall into ruin. Now, I want to pause for a moment of silence for everyone out there who had to live through that ridiculous stretch of football 
and for every single one of the inanimate objects you may have broken in the process. How many coffee tables did you break in this process? It's the, the, it's insurmountable. I can't even count the number. <laughs> I can't count the number of things I've broken over the Buffalo Bills during that time span. I remember a Patriots tailgate. You told me uh, you punched out like somebody's uh, side mirror. No, a friend of mine punched out my taillight in a parking lot. And then I punched the mirror off my car out of frustration that he punched out my taillight because the Bills lost the Monday night game against the Cowboys. That's So that's who you're talking to right now. So by the time Buddy Nix was hired in 2000, there wasn't many players worth signing to extensions on the roster. 2010. So in an effort to change our culture, Buddy Nix came in as our GM and started swinging for the fences by drafting skill and speed players. C.J. Spiller, T.J. Graham, he broke the bank in free agency to get Mario Williams. And they even spent big on Ryan Fitzpatrick when he looked like he might be something. But at the end of the day, Spiller wasn't consistently effective. Williams would go on to just be cut for cap purposes and didn't contribute anything towards a playoff run. And our other free agent acquisitions like Mark Anderson and Ryan Fitzpatrick would prove to be fruitless. Once again, we failed to land a starting quarterback. Other teams were still managing to draft and groom legitimate starters at the quarterback position. And no matter what we did, we couldn't find a way to build consistent depth across our roster across our roster through the draft which is the strength of any winning organization any team that wins consistently does so because they have they have backups for their backups because they draft well and their 53 man roster contains guys who are backups who could go be a starter on some other team like buffalo so over the last 16 years one of my favorite draft takeaways is that since the patriots drafted tom brady the Patriots have drafted more quarterbacks than the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, you draft you draft for your strengths because you're always planning for the future. So, after the firing of Chan Gailey and Buddy Nix in 2013, Doug Whaley was promoted to the role of GM. One of his first moves was to trade third-round linebacker Kelvin Shepard for Jerry Hughes in one of those rare player-for-player trades in the NFL. It happens in hockey. It happens in basketball. It never happens in football. We fleeced them on that deal. Since then, I mean, it's an absolute fleecing of Ryan Gregson. Since then, he's made some debatable moves. I'll give you that. But I don't think we have a full body of work from this GM. And in the same vein, I don't think we've seen a full body of work for Rex Ryan. Coaches like Pete Carroll and Ron Rivera, they've also been on the hot seat. They've taken over teams that had some promise and had slow starts. The Ron Rivera thing comes from the week two of the 13th season where the blown blown coverage and EJ just uh, like a fade to Stevie, nobody on him. And instead of firing them from their respective teams, their GMs and owners stayed patient. And they were rewarded with Super Bowls. They were rewarded with playoff trips because they gave their staff teams that had been inept for forever found guys who had eyes for talent, who they thought could get the job done, and they gave them the time to do what they needed to do. Okay. Now, if you listen to this podcast or just follow any of my drunken mid-game rants on Twitter or Facebook, you know that I'm not ever going to censor myself and I'm never going to hold back my opinion from you, my, my friends, my family, from anybody, which is why I mean it when I say that I want everyone to collectively take a deep breath and listen to what I'm about to say. 
We can't keep firing everyone. Not if we ever want to truly build a winning football team. For the first time since the drought began, we've got a GM who seems, I mean, he's a scout at heart. He seems like he has an eye for talent. And we've got an owner who's completely untied the purse strings. He's adamant that he is willing to pay whatever it takes to build a winner. The fact is, Rex may not be the perfect coach. You're right, and I get all the criticism being fired around the internet right now. You're right, take shots at him. But I think a lot of the the shit that he takes is because he's openly and maybe even overly optimistic, kind of like we are. He's like us in the sense that he he looks at his football team and he looks at him. I mean, I think of him like Moxon's father from Varsity Blues. He wants to crow about how good his kid is, even if his kid isn't the top dog, even if his kid isn't good enough to beat some of the competition. He wants to crow about how proud he is of his guys. And that, I think, has built some unrealistic expectations from a fan base that spent years being tortured by just bad football and broken promises and empty hope. True or false, Doug Whaley best general manager that we have had since Bill Polian. True. And and I'll fight any, I will argue anyone out there on that point. If anybody has anything to say, I'm at Rockpile Report on Twitter. You know how to get a hold of me. Come talk to me about it because I swear there's not a whole lot you can tell me that he's not the best GM we've had in a while. So considering how little progress all of our previous turnover has brought, what do we stand to gain from throwing these guys out of the building right now? Or after the season, who else out there can step in and do a better job? There are flaws. Yeah, there's, there's obviously flaws. No one's perfect. We don't have any roster depth. I, we shouldn't say any, but our, it's not enviable. It's injuries. Injuries, poor execution, some coaching miscues. But I think we all have to face facts. There wasn't, there wasn't ever going to be, and there isn't going to be, some white knight out there at GM or at coach who's going to ride into Buffalo and magically transform a roster that spent over a decade being devoid of any real depth or talent at most positions into the New England Patriots. So like it or not, if you want to see Buffalo Bills winning football, we need to do what we as Bills fans do best. And that's grit our teeth and see this thing through to the end. I'm I'm with you. I'm all about continuity. You know, like I said before with uh, Greg Roman, you know, we Curtis Mockins is the longest tenured offensive coordinator we've had over the last 10 years. How many, let's flip it to the other side of the ball. How many defensive coordinators have we been through? Jim Schwartz, Dennis Thurman. Aaron Mabin has been on this football team. Aaron, Aaron Mabin, good Lord. Aaron Williams. Has been on the roster, and I guess he's another one of the guys. I guess I forgot he did earn an extension, so you're right. That number kind of inflates to 12 players. I'm sorry, it wasn't 11. But the fact is, is Aaron Williams has been here in a Bills jersey for a long time. The guy has had a different defensive coordinator almost every single season for his entire career. Petten, Schwartz, Thurman. Wants was he here for Wanstead in his nineteen ninety three a year for the other guy who came from the Dolphins that we fired to bring in Wanstead. The fact is, is he's never had the same. He's never had continuity, 
And a lot of our guys haven't had it. And you have to have continuity in the NFL if you ever want to be a winning organization. You don't just go out and find a GM who hits home runs with five picks a year in the draft. It doesn't happen. What you need is a guy who can get you three players. Out of every draft, out of every seven draft picks, every team is afforded. I want three guys. If you can find me, I don't give a shit in what round, if you can find me three guys who are going to be here for a while, over the course of three years, that's enough to fill most of your major holes and give you some depth. But you have to stay the course. Who were those three from the last draft? Okay. last so, Not not this past May or April, the previous April. The previous April. I'm trying to think of what draft that was. So We that, took Carlos in the fifth. We didn't take Carlos. Oh, Carlos in the fifth. Okay. No, but he, we cut him. We well, cut him. We had Dar- Darby. Well, he's a quality player. Yeah, Darby. Ron Darby. John Miller. John Miller. John Miller is our starting right guard, and he's not as bad as – I mean, he was bad last season. I, I'd say he was below average. He wasn't terrible. He's playing average football right now. But for a, th- but for a third-round pick, that's not terrible. No, and one of, one of Preston the Preston Brown was a third-round pick. There that's a go. guy who's currently starting for us. There's one of the things that I like that I don't know if it was I think it might have been Buddy Nix that did it seventh round. We granted he's not that great, but he's serviceable. Was Sean Trail Henderson, yeah. who coming out of high school was like a five star grade yeah. and had had some off field issues, and we took him in the seventh round, and he's been serviceable. The fact is, is that you cannot. You can't keep firing people because if you do, the players don't get continuity. The coaches never have time to really see their vision through for what that roster needs to be. At the end of the day, we'll continue to be a losing organization if that's what every one of you guys who has the doom and gloom meter cranked to 11 and wants to see us burn this thing to the ground. That's where we'll be. 16 years should be enough to teach you that constantly firing your coaches and constantly replacing your GMs is not smart football. You find a guy who seems like he's got an eye for talent. You find a coach who has the guts and can win over his players, and he has the guts to go out there and face the media every Sunday and not get testy and take things on the chin and hold himself accountable. You find that guy, you find a guy who can get that guy talent, and you put them to work. Yes, you do not give them an unlimited rope, but you let them play the string out to the end. You know, the, the, the thing everyone around here in Buffalo likes to say is nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. You know what? Right now, we've all got a lot of soul searching to do to decide what side of this we want to be on. I know that I want to be on the side of sustained success here in Buffalo. I'm tired. I'm tired of firing coaches. I'm tired of coaches leaving. I'm tired of coaches being recycled, offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators being tossed around from one place to the other, and then us having to go back to the dregs of football to dredge up some guy who Curtis Modkins or Chan Gailey, who's, what do they really know? I'm tired of it. I want to make, I'd rather make my stand and stake my reputation right here and right now on what we have than continue this perpetual cycle of just, just nonsense. Well, let's go like our, the head coaches that we've had since 2000. Correct me if I'm wrong. Mike Malarkey and Doug Marone left on their terms after their second season. On their terms after their second season. Everyone else was fired within their first couple of years. Dick Juron actually got an extension and then got fired. During, yeah, during his fourth during year. His Dick, for those that don't know, Dick Juron is the only head coach since 
Marv Levy to get a contract extension. So there's a, and that even makes it more damning. There's a pattern here, guys. The people that we go out there and find aren't good. The only people who exist out there aren't good. Right now, we have a real opportunity to build around what we have. So for all of you fans out there, I get it. And I know my opinion is not very popular. I know people were expecting me to come out here and flip out and scream and talk about how it's hellfire and brimstone. I feel like Jim Brewer from Half-Baked. I'm not going to do what everyone thinks I'm going to do and freak out, man. (laughs) I just got to ask one thing. Who's coming with me? Hopefully, you're all coming with me. And now, as I was out of town for the weekend and didn't have time to do my usual, you know, boatload of post-game film breakdown and analysis, I kind of ran into a brick wall. But luckily for us and you as our listeners, we've got you covered. Break it down. Eric Turner. An idiot. The bridge between the stats and the X's and O's. Let me break it down for you so you understand. Cover1.net. All right, everybody, we have Eric Turner from Cover1.net joining us tonight to help us kind of break down the New York Jets game. Eric, how are you doing tonight? Not too bad, fellas. Thanks for having me on, and I'm flattered by that intro. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's... You're welcome. It's something Chris likes to throw together for a lot of our repeat guests. He feels like it makes everyone feel more at home. Oh, it definitely does. It's very welcoming. So the opening season tailgate on Thursday was a blast. Okay, The weather was beautiful for a Bills home opener, but pretty much everything went to hell, and it happened fast. You know, I'll be honest when I say that I'm, I'm, I'm still a little haunted by that loss. It was absurdly hard to swallow, considering how large our expectations were coming into the season. So I'm going to get right into it with you. I think one of, the, one of the most egregious things that I saw was the fact that there was no punts forced in the first half. I mean, how did the Jets manage to keep moving things on us like that and keep our defense off balance? Well, the thing I noticed right off right off the bat from studying the film was that, um, I mean, like most games, it's all about personnel matchups, and the Jets won that from the get-go. I mean, they came out in 11 personnel a lot, and on early downs, the Bills tried matching it with their base defense, which meant that, you know, Duke Williams was in – over the slot receiver, which we know that's a mismatch as far as coverage goes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, I understand why Rex did it. Um, he wanted to slow down Matt Forte, but obviously the Jets saw that and Changeli attacked it. And, you know, that those slot receivers were having a field day. Yeah, no, I mean, it was watching it from the stands, it looked like we'd, you know, we'd stop a run play. They'd run on first down, we'd stop it. On second down, they'd spread us out, and then they'd run it again. So then... On third down, we'd commit more guys to trying to protect the interior, and they would just get us over the top right in the middle of the defense with this pass to the slot receiver or, like, on a quick slant route to the, from the outside. It's like it was it was hard to watch. It really was. No, I totally agree. And, and you know what? And like I said, it's a matchup game. And um, having – they have Decker and Marshall. We know that. And last year, those guys had all right days. Mainly Decker was the one that really hurt us last year. So – Early in this game, Chan Gailey knew that Rex was going to commit all resources to slow him down, especially on third down. So, um, you know, Rex tried doubling uh, Decker early, especially in third down and nine. I think that was like the first drive. He had a really big uh, mm-hmm. conversion there. And, and, and Graham, you know, doubled the slot receiver um, with Nickel Roby. And that's when Inuwa started going off. And he he's a, a guy that 
we didn't really account for last year. So it really kept the D off balance. Oh, and it was, and that's the thing. Anunwa, Marshall, and Decker, all three of them almost had 100 yard days. Like, that is just, it, I'm sorry, but it's not, it's inexcusable for an NFL defense. I understand if a receiver goes off, kind of how, like, against the Jets in week one, A.J. Green had a field day. And a couple of their other receivers had one big catch or two maybe big catches. But for the most part, it was one guy doing all the damage. This week against us, it's almost like they took that and turned it on us, and they had three different guys. They could go any one of any three directions, and they were just abusing us using those three receivers. No, you're right. And, and you know, that's why the piece I did this, you know, reviewing the film on that Jets game, it was tra- it's called Trail Technique because it seemed like they were always a step ahead of us, you know. And, and you know, when we tried doubling Decker, they would go to Marshall. When we tried doubling Marshall, they go to Decker. And then Anua, again, he was just a mismatch. And so um, it, they were always just a step ahead of us, whether it be in the play call or in the personnel matchup. Now, against a team like that, you were talking about the bigger physical wide receivers of the New York Jets, okay? With having Nikel Roby manning the slot, I feel like they took advantage of him in the running game a lot. Would you agree? I totally agree with that. I mean, they pretty much, they would go to a three-wide formation and then run at will. And I know earlier you had mentioned uh, when you and I were speaking that you think a lot of it has to do with the fact that Nikel Roby, you know, he just can't hold up in the running game, especially against a guy like Anunwa. If you put him in the slot, he's, he's a converted tight end. That guy can block. Totally. And, and you know what? And like I said, they were always a step ahead. So anytime that early in the downs we went with, uh, you know, our base defense, they would pass. But then, okay, mm-hmm. we put Roby in, and thinking that they're going to pass when the Jets were in 11 personnel. And... Of course, then Forte got going. You know, it, it was just it was a never-ending chase game uh, mm-hmm. in that in in the game against the Jets, and you know it's kind of frustrating because you know I don't think Rex called that bad of a game. I really don't. No, and, and I was going to say, as a casual fan watching that game, I felt like there were a lot of throws that Fitz completed to his receivers that were just put in an area where only his receiver could get it. You nailed it. I, I, I couldn't agree anymore. Um, if you think about it, just the matchup alone, uh, I mean, their three receivers, their top three, are all over six foot two. I mean, look at our DBs. If, if Fitzy, which he did, threw it up and put it in the right spot, their receivers, are just they were just going up and getting it. Mm-hmm. Our, our defenders didn't really have that bad of coverage. Um, I just felt that they were just outmanned. And, and honestly, those guys on offense were just making plays. No, it was it was tough to watch them just march the way that they did down the football field. I mean, it's and to their credit, I mean, they came up with a game plan that worked, and it was the size and it was their speed and everything that they had on the outside that opened up that interior, you know, for them to uh, kind of just work us in the, both the running game and in the short passing game. I know there was a play where we had them third. It was I think it was third and six. It's in the fourth quarter, and I'm thinking, okay, all right. We can get back into this game. It's a one-score game. All we got to do is stop them right here. And then they blitz. And on the one time that they blitz, that's when Decker comes out of the slot straight up the middle and he's up the seam in single coverage with a safety who can't match up with him size for size. And he just catches the ball over the safety's head for a first down. And it's just like that was what happened to us all night. We got no pa- – at the beginning of the game, we were getting a good pass rush. But then he had the injury to, to Jerry Hughes. 
you know, everyone else in the defensive line is largely ineffective against the pass. And I just feel like it. I, there, there's no rush coming from our line without, you know, they, they can double-team Kyle Williams and none of those other guys are getting any kind of push in the passing game. Plus, I think you're missing a lot out of Darius, who's able to push the pocket oh, absolutely. right into Fitz's face. I mean, by, by the time the late second and then into the third and the fourth, we just stopped getting any pressure on the quarterback. And I no, you like guys are right, and, and you know what, Darius uh, is a is a big loss up the middle because he's going to occupy two at the very least every yep. play. You know, even if he's not even rushing, if he's occupying two, without him, you know, having Brian in there. Don't get me wrong, I love his technique and he he can attack, but not having Darius up the middle allows you know Mangold to single him, single Brian, and the guards and tackles to fan out and worry about Jerry Hughes and mm-hmm. and Alexander for that matter. No, and that's absolutely correct, and that's the problem, is that right now we don't have any threats on our defensive line. So now the only way we can generate any kind of pass rush is by blitzing, but it doesn't seem like they it seems like they've been gun shy when it comes to it. But then, like I just mentioned, when we do blitz, it seems like we get exposed to big plays. So I don't know what I don't know what we're gonna do. I mean, it just seems like we were grossly undermanned on the defensive line to handle their offensive line, and it showed. You know, it showed on the scoreboard. Right, and I mean, I I know we blitzed Fitzy. Uh, I think it, the total number was nine times, and he was seven for eight um, when we blitzed him. So mm-hmm. I mean, it was it was tough for us to blitz just because they were beating us deep so much. So yep. you had to account, you had to keep those safeties back, or you had to double at least one of those threats. Mm-hmm. So it was hard for us to to bring the blitz. And you know, I was looking over the s- snap numbers and. It looked like Adolphus Washington only had like 14 snaps. I was kind of surprised about that, especially considering how, how you know well he's shown to be in the pass rush. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I know that they put Doosable in a lot more, and he he did play a pretty good game. But mm-hmm. you're right, we didn't we didn't blitz them much. We you know we rushed for a lot, and you know we tried stunt and whatnot, but we couldn't get through. But part of that you know part of that game, that strategy behind that is because Fitzy was getting the ball off in, in 2.11 seconds. So from snap mm-hmm. to attempt of a pass, he was getting the ball out in 2.11. That's pretty hard. If you're, if you're trying to blitz, you're really just wasting that guy. Yeah. No, I mean, I watched it in person and was just mortified by how easy Fitzpatrick made it look to just shred our defense. It's disappointing to know in week one, the offense was the letdown, and week two, our defense was a letdown. But our offense plays a role in that. Now, this is another subject, something I noticed just from my brief review of the game. Time of possession and first downs. I don't think it can get more lopsided than it did. We got doubled up in time of possession. They had almost 40 minutes compared to our 20. And then, first downs, they had 28, and we had 16. You cannot win a football game if the other team is consistently on the field wearing down your defense. And your offense, is the only reason you're even in the game is because your offense hits on a couple lucky deep bombs. You can't stay in a football game. I mean, ask Chip Kelly. Ask Chip Kelly what happens when you gas your defense because your offense is this quote-unquote quick-strike offense. You can put up points, people come right back and run it down your throat. Rex Ryan's defense, the, the defensive pace that they were on, offenses were running a play like, I mean, at record pace, and and that's part of. And last year was a little different. I understand because it was, um, you know, we had issues with our check systems and audibles. Mm-hmm. But this is uh, is something that's always been a Rex Ryan problem. Is you know, 
offenses like to run the no huddle, like to run plays at an extreme fast pace. Mm-hmm. So it keeps these defenders on. And yeah, it hurt us last game. But I mean, the poor execution on offense definitely fed into what the 39 minutes, 12 seconds of time of possession for the Jets. That definitely hurt our pass rush, especially when we don't have that much depth. No, um, you know, in the front seven as far as pass rush goes. No, you should be trying to keep those guys as fresh as possible. So consistently going three and out, or getting on the field for three plays and scoring a touch a touchdown, you know, an eighty yard bomb. It's great that you scored, but you're not doing your defense any favors. And I mean, that's really the only teeth our team had on offense. You know, the the fumble recovery for a touchdown, two bombs, one to Greg Salas, one to Marquise Goodwin. You know, it's that, I, that's all we had all night long. I looked up. Tyrod has like, I want to say, four hundred and eight yards passing on the season, and then you factor in the Goodwin eighty-four yard bomb and the seventy-one to Salas. Those two plays alone account for thirty-seven percent of Tyrod's passing yards. Like that, that's not okay for an NFL quarterback. No, totally not. And and you know what? I mean, I think uh, Gray Roman paid the price for that because. That's quite typical of Greg Roman's offense. You know, his quarterbacks have always been top five in holding the ball and trying to extend mm-hmm. plays. And, you know, what? I think that finally caught up to him because, you know what, Tyrod Taylor was struggling, first of all. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we're watching the All-22 like, oh, my goodness. Yeah, there are guys open, but there's only three guys going out and route every time. Yeah. And they're all outside. So, I mean, I think all of that went into play in this Jets game. And I obviously it cost Greg Roman his job. Well, we were talking about that just before we got you on. Was the Roman firing? Do you, what is your take on that? Just real quick. Initially, um, I mean, I, I think it's bull. I, I think it was a bad move um, because, to me, when you put in all that time in the off season, and when you put in all that time from last season, and you're studying the playbook and you're creating these plays, Greg Rome's creating these plays for you know his players. Um, to fire him after two games, I, I think was a mistake and almost a sign that like we're mailing it in. Honestly, um, you know. And then a couple days go by, and I'm starting to you know watch a little more film. And and yeah, he and I've always had this problem with him. His passing concepts aren't that complex. Mm-hmm. They're just not. He does not design plays, or I, I want to say he doesn't design at all. But he doesn't design many plays to get the ball in the hands of his playmakers. There- well, well, hey, hang on. No, no, no. No, no, because that plays right into my next point. You want to talk about not getting the balls into your hands of your playmakers. So another stat that I took away from my research of what happened in that Jets game, division of targets. LaShawn McCoy was thrown to more times than Sammy Watkins and Robert Woods in this game. We've got the breakdown. Charles Clay, seven targets, five catches for 27 yards. LaShawn McCoy... Five targets, four catches, 31 yards. Marquise Goodwin, five targets, two catches, 112 yards, and a touchdown. Watkins, five targets, two catches, 40 yards. Woods, two targets, one catch, 10 yards. What the hell did we draft Robert Woods for if we have an offensive coordinator who's not going to utilize him? He's only seen three passes and only made two catches in two football games. To, to, to know that you have a guy who's a number two wide receiver, and I think that he could go to a lot of teams and be a legitimate number two wide receiver. I believe that. To only throw the ball at him three times in two games is pathetic. See, I was just going to say there was, I think, a third down play that we had, and we just ran four verticals. Yeah. 
No, that, yeah. that, that was absolutely a thing that happened. We needed 20 yards. It was third and 20, and we went four verticals. Where is that going to get you? The defense is going to key on that immediately. You're not going to get to where you need to get running a play. Especially like when your offense struggles to pick up first downs. I, I had a problem with that play, too. I totally recall that. You know, you have to get something out of that. You know, you got to get so at least even gain field position for that matter. You know, that does matter. And I didn't, I mean, that's Greg Roman's play call, you know, the four verts. I mean, yeah, that's, exactly. that's his play call. That's his, that's his calling. So I get it that you may believe that it's a knee jerk reaction, that it's not, you know, it's not a sign of, you know, that the team has any faith in itself or things like that. But what I think it's more indicative of is the fact that, okay, Greg, Greg Roman, Rex Ryan hired Greg Roman with an idea of what he wanted his football team to be. And so far, Greg Roman has done some positive things, but he hasn't done what's, he, you know, in, in clutch moments like that, he hasn't come through with something. You watch, I mean, yes, conversion rates on third downs are difficult. You know, that's why that's what the defense strives for is to get to third down. But across the NFL, there are coordinators and there are quarterbacks and there are players who make plays on third downs when they need to. Even long third downs, they find a way to get it done. And unfortunately, that's been one of the biggest knocks against the Bills throughout Roman's tenure is that they haven't gotten it done on third down or in the fourth quarter when it matters. When a team has seen how you're going to approach them for a game and they make adjustments, we have to be able to counter that. And the fact that we didn't throughout Roman's tenure, I think absolutely is what led to his dismissal. No, I, I would agree with that. And you know what? Um, third down is the money down. Everyone knows that. And, you know, uh, offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators, That's honestly, that's what they get paid for, to mm-hmm. devise um, plays and design plays to earn a first down on third down. I mean, mm-hmm. you know what? Because you have your quick get passing game. You have, you know, you have your short and intermediate game. Mm-hmm. But when you need that first down, what – kind of creativity do you have and you know and and I've always been uh you know critical of Greg Roman's passing game because I think it's quite elementary but um when you look at that Jets game and you look at those third downs if you there's no creativity there isn't and you know what I I, I, I split it between Tyrod because he did miss some targets and you Woods being one of them uh through several games he's missed Woods a, a bunch of times and even Sammy Watkins you know admitted to that but when you look at the cre- creativity of the game plan and the design of the, our third down plays, mm-hmm. they're pretty, pretty vanilla. And I'd have to agree with that. Although I do disagree with firing him, but in the end, it's uh, it's probably the right move. Uh, I just hope that you know Anthony Lynn can at least uh, up our passing game in that in that perspective. No, and you're not wrong. You know, you're you're not wrong in that. So ultimately, this game. <sighs> It was a huge blow, you know, because it, it's the home opener. You started off the season on a sour note, so you're expecting that you're going to come home and say, okay, we're in our house, we're going to rebound, we're going to take care of the things that we needed to take care of, and it's going to be fine. And then the, then you have to watch that abomination of a game, and you say to yourself, okay, so we were outcoached between their offensive coordinator and our defensive coordinator. But that's our coach's brother. He's not going to fire him. Well, our I don't coordinator know what, I don't is know Dennis le- Thurman. Uh, I don't know what level of accountability exists on the defensive side of the football, but the fact is is that was supposed to be our coach's strength. And so far, he's taken what used to be the strength of our team and turned it into a weakness. 
So now we're playing from two positions of weakness, and it's I understand why the doom and gloom you know meter has been cranked up to eleven right now here in Buffalo. I get it, I understand, but at the same time, I I just it's one game, and that's all you can do is we can buckle it, you know, <laughs> buckle our seats and strap ourselves in and just take it one game at a time. I mean, that's that's all you can do as a Bills fan, right? Right. No, I agree, and I'm gonna go out there and say because I'm one of the few. I this game I don't believe we are out coached guys I don't the first game I do I think Greg Roman um, wasn't prepared which he should have been for the first game of the year and, and he ate him up. took credit for that but I think this past game I think Rex Ryan was I don't think he was out coached I think yeah I say he was a, a you know a step behind Chan Gailey but based on the film based on our past by playing uh, Fitzy um, I do think he made changes. I just think that, you know, their playmakers, their receivers, made more plays than our defensive backs. Because like I said earlier, I think our DBs were in position for most of those calls, those, you know, those plays. And their bigger receivers just made made the play, and Fitzy put it where only his guys could make it. So I want to I wouldn't totally put it on the coaches um, because when you watch the All-22, you see that he was – you know, he had safeties, you know, in the slot doubling. He he, he doubled on all of those, you know, deep passes. It, it, it almost every play he had a guy doubling at least one of their main receivers. So, I, I mean, I want to say totally outcoached. I do think that Fitzy uh, had a heck of a game, first of all, <laughs> considering his standard. I, it's hard um, for me to give Fitzpatrick credit for everything. A I mean, career that, game. He had, career, he had probably yeah, you're right, the best I, game of his entire he, life. He'll never, he'll <laughs> never do that again. Never. I'll tell you this. I'm willing to make a bet right now. All of our listeners, you can hold me accountable for this. Chris, if Fitzpatrick ever comes close, like what, what was his total yardage? Does anyone know what his total total passing yards were in that game? 370-something, I mean, right? 370? I'll tell you this. If he can crack 370 again during this season, I don't know. What, what, 374, one touchdown. 374 and one touchdown. If he eclipses 370 yards passing at any point in time in this season, I don't know. What do you think's fair, Chris? You know, you know me and things I hate. <laughs> well, I mean, I was going to use this later on in the season Uh-oh. against you, but what I can think of is—he's <laughs> been thinking about this. Oh I, God! Well, I thought about it today because because <laughs> Eric, um, Drew, and I are in like a, a podcast fantasy football league. All right. So I played Drew in week six, which is the 49ers game. And I was thinking about that today, and I was like, oh, Drew and I are obviously going to have like a gentleman's mm-hmm. bet for that game. The <laughs> one thing that I was thinking of is uh, if Fitzpatrick is going to throw for 375 and eclipse what he did on Thursday, mm-hmm. I would say that during a podcast recording, you're going to have to drink six Seagrams. Oh. <laughs> All right, you know what? I'll, I, I will. I will take that bet. Because I'll shake your hand here on. Hey, Eric, you're our witness. You saw that. I'm the witness. We shook on it. Yeah, I was. I was thinking about I that drink today. A sixer of Seagrams. That that could be our bet for week six. Is like a loser has to drink a six pack of Seagrams. If Ryan Fitzpatrick can do that again, because <laughs> I'll tell you, I don't see it happening. The fact is, is that I know who. I know you know Eric. Every Bills fan, every Houston Texans fan. Every Bengals fan, every you know Rams, anyone who's ever gotten to watch the guy play knows who he is. 
He's not that guy. He's not the guy who came here on Thursday night and torched our defense. He's not, but I'll say this. I'd say, if I were a betting man, I'd say there's a 30% chance that he does equal or better that number. I oh. think their offense is so dynamic this year, adding you know a third receiver and then Matt Forte. I, I just think that there may be a chance that he could you know uh, replicate those numbers. I, I mean, I, I've been taking heat on Twitter because I do think he can do that. May, will he throw two or three interceptions? Yeah, but will he throw for over 350 yards, you know, 374 yards? I, I could see him doing that again. I, I mean, in this day and age, it, it wouldn't surprise me. No, <laughs> but I'll tell you, I'm confident. I'm, I'm feeling real good about this one. <laughs> don't, don't try to bring me down with your statistics. I'm just saying, I, I think there's a 30%. I'll say 30% chance that he does it again. All right. Well, since we're running out of time here, let me ask you, before you go, what do you think our chances are this upcoming week against uh, the Arizona Cardinals? I think we'd have to be quite special, honestly, on both sides of the ball. Obviously, turnover battle is its any given week. Of course, that's number one, mm-hmm. especially with this defense. After studying some of this defense, and I'm not totally through all the film, but after studying some of this defense, they're so opportunistic, and its they run a different defense than – what we're no, what we normally see, it, it's so different. It's it's quite diverse, and they have guys that can play safety. They have guys that play linebacker. They have guys that play safety that play corners. So I mean, it's going to be quite confusing for our offense under a new coordinator um, to to put up points. And everyone's talking this week about getting Sammy his targets. I agree, get Sammy his targets, <laughs> but you cannot force feed it to Sammy this week. No. They have playmakers on oh, that no. side of the There's ball be, that will take it in a heartbeat to the end zone. And we're going to be talking about that in a little bit, some of the guys that guys, Bills fans may not know about on their defense who are very good at what they do. That being said, I fully expect them. You know what I almost expect? I expect them to know that Sammy Watkins is playing hurt. They're going to shy away from doubling him. They're going to dare us to try to feed him early. You know what I mean? That's If I'm, if I'm in defensive coordinator and i know what i know about sammy watkins foot injury i'm gonna leave him in man coverage let's see what he does for the first quarter if he gets loose okay i'll adjust but i'm confident that my offense can make up for it in the meantime i'm gonna double everybody else i'm gonna put the pressure on the rest of the team i'm gonna make sammy watkins be the guy who beats me on a bum wheel that's just the way i look at it it is but when it comes down to it okay they have at least three, their top three safeties, all right? Three of their safeties could cover Sammy one-on-one. I mean, these are guys that, you know, Tyron Matthew, you know, he played corner. He can cover mm-hmm. Sammy. You know, I mean, obviously Patrick Peterson, their quarter, he can he can cover anyone on our squad. There's no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I think the guy that's going under the radar, and I'm going to focus on him um, and highlight him in my scouting report, is their other safety, uh, Tony Jefferson. I mean, he's not a guy that probably could cover Sammy, but he's the key to their defense. As much as you want to talk about Peterson, Matthew, and Dale and Buchanan, watch mm-hmm. out for Tony Jefferson this weekend, all right? Because he's going to be everywhere. He leads their team in tackles. Oh, yeah. Nobody, you know? again, he's a guy that nobody knows about, but we're going to talk about that all in a minute. So, Eric, I, I appreciate you coming onto our show a lot, you know, especially with your limited timetable. Um, so where can people, guys who listen to our podcast, where can they find more of your stuff if they're interested? 
Well, the site I run is, uh, you know, CoverOne.net, um, and I focus on uh, primarily film. I'm not too big on covering the commentary and the firings and all that. I like to focus on the film. It's what I enjoy. Um, you can find me at Twitter at CoverOneEturner, and uh, and Facebook, I have a Cover One page. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm everywhere, guys, and you know what? I enjoy this. Um, I enjoy bringing this to the Bills fans, and um, it's been received really well, and I appreciate you guys taking time and, and let me come on the show. No, absolutely. I mean, in all honesty, Chris sings your praises all the time, because, but, but it truly is. Your site helps fans who maybe who haven't spent their whole lives, who haven't played football, who haven't coached football, who haven't spent their lives around the X's and O's of things. Like me. To really understand <laughs> what's going on on a given play or on a given series, or why some plays worked and some plays didn't. So, I mean, I mean, Chris, yeah. like I said, Chris sings your praises constantly about it. Yeah, I watch no, it. I appreciate I, it. I watch a couple of your videos, and I know, you know, now that this is my first season since 2011, being a single man, you know, I'm going to be watching a lot of away games with Drew, and I know right. there's going to be times where, because Drew's got two TVs in the basement, one's going to have the Bills game, <laughs> one on Red Zone, and if I see something on like on Red Zone or the Bills game, and Drew's been drinking, Drew won't have the patience to explain something to me, so I'll just, <laughs> I'll just wait till Monday or Tuesday when Eric's got it. No, and you know what? That's the biggest compliment I can take, honestly, and and that's you know I try to. To break the game down, because it's a complex game, and a lot of people, a lot of fans, are uh, they think it's so easy. No, you can just do this. It's it's not Madden, guys. You know, it's a complicated game. There are complicated techniques and certain reads, and, and I try to slow it down. You know, it, you, you get the slow mo in the game. I try to slow the game down so that people can understand it and and rational rationally make their conclusions about the coaches or the play calls and whatnot. So I try to keep I try to simplify everything, and I'm I'm glad that uh, you know it benefits you. Yeah, well, uh, again, uh, thanks for uh, joining us tonight, and uh, have fun protecting our border from Quebec. <laughs> Appreciate it, guys. You guys have a good night. All right, take care, Eric. All right, see you later. And that, guys, was Eric Turner from CoverOne.net. And that brings us to our AFC East Roundup, the weekly segment where we dissect what the hell everyone else in our, in our division is doing. Now, we all know how the week went for the Jets. So let's take a look at how the other interdivision game went this week. The Dolphins went to Foxborough hoping to steal one on the road. However, they were beaten down by a combination of second and third string Patriot quarterbacks. That game was on locally, and I watched the first quarter, and I watched Garoppolo destroy the Dolphins' defense. Oh, it clearly I- looked like... Mario Williams was still de- dealing with a bruised ego. I mean, that in and of itself, the fact that you played the second and third stringer and still lost has to be demoralizing. I mean, all of their offseason talk about having a fast-paced offense that's tough to defend and having a D-line that can dominate the point of attack and rush the passer, it hasn't materialized through uh, two weeks of football. Well, let's go back to our training camp segment where we brought Ron Canifon from Locked On Dolphins podcast he had said that the offense really hasn't picked up what Gates has been preaching, and well, it's shown in the first two weeks. Well, no, because he, they're not his personnel. This is a new coach taking over a team that was assembled by somebody else. So the fact is I don't expect immediate success. However, they went into halftime down 24-3. to that, that in and of itself is damning. Now, on offense, the Dolphins failed to get much of anything going for the entirety of the first half. And a lot of that was because the rushing attack just isn't effective right now. 
On defense, their secondary struggled, suffering coverage breakdowns that accounted for all three of Jimmy Garoppolo's first-half touchdown passes. But the most damning thing about their loss was the lack of pressure they got on the quarterback. They had one sack in the first half, and it got called back because of a defensive penalty. And then they didn't get another until Jacoby Brissett was already under center. I mean, luckily for them, they get the Browns this week, and they'll face another third-string quarterback in Cody Kessler. I mean, it's the kid's first NFL start, and the Dolphins are very lucky to get to face two third-stringers in two consecutive weeks because no te- they're the first team in NFL history to do it. That, that right there should be a recipe for a W if there ever was one. So if the Dolphins don't win this week, I'll be shocked. And then you look at the Patriots. They did what the Pats do. They won with a second-string, third-string quarterback. I mean, ultimately, Chris could have stepped in over here and played quarterback for the Patriots and probably won a football game. How about with Garoppolo's injury for this Thursday? The second quarterback for the depth chart is Julian Edelman. I'll tell you this, their team is deep at every position. And as long as they continue to play like this, they're going to be a force in the AFC because the AFC is slowly running out of elite quarterbacks. This week, they're going up against a stingy defense with, you know, a stingy defense in Houston with a third string quarterback on a short week. So Thursday night might be something worth watching if you're a Bills fan hoping for a Patriots loss, maybe bring them, knock them down a peg, hope we can go in there and steal one, knock them to two and two. It's going to be worth watching just to see what they do, but they're still the Patriots. And until someone proves to me that they can't just call the next guy, random ball boy, out of the friggin' locker room with pads on, and he can go out there and quarterback them to a win, I'll believe that they can win anything. Just yes or no? Can the Patriots beat the Texans? With Absolutely. Per- Absolutely they can finish the question. At this, point, at this point, I'm willing to believe anything that the Patriots are selling. You got Jacoby Brissett, and you think you can win with him? You know what? I, who am I to doubt the Patriots at this point? God. God I hate the Patriots. <laughs> who doesn't? And so then that brings us to our, our upcoming game preview, Buffalo against the Arizona Cardinals. Now, in his weekly interview, Rex Ryan claimed that this might be the perfect team for the Bills to play. I'd love to have a taste of whatever he's been drinking because it's got to be strong stuff. Now, the important information, New Era Field, 1 p.m. is kickoff. Weather, it's going to be sunny, 66 degrees, and a 10-mile-an-hour-per-hour wind, wind. So it's not going to be super windy, which sucks for us. You know, I, I'd like to see some shitty weather here. You know, you have that outdoor stadium, I want to see it. And then for officials, Walt Anderson. Don't know anything about him. He hasn't popped up on my radar of egregiously bad officials, so I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. Up next to the injury report, Watkins. So far this week, Watkins has not participated in practice. He's joined by Cordy Glenn and Charles Clay. Neither one of them have practiced this week. Colt Anderson was limited. Ron Ron Darby was limited. And Cardale Jones was limited. They all have injuries. For Arizona, Evan Mathis has not participated. Now, that's big because that's a key cog in the offensive line. Frosty Rucker, he has not participated since training camp, but he is an impact defensive lineman. Kareem Martin, don't really know a whole lot about him, but he hasn't practiced either. Jared Veldier, 
Now, he is a very good offensive lineman that they brought in from the Raiders. For Arizona, he's a good guard, and for him to be limited in practice, if he doesn't play, that's going to be to the advantage of the Buffalo Bills. And then Larry Fitzgerald, which I'm sure is just a maintenance day because he's old as dirt, but still wrecking everything in his path. So let's talk about our opponent by the numbers. Arizona, they are right now right in the, I don't know, they're hanging on to the upper echelon of football teams through two games. They're 11th in total offense at 380 yards a game. They're 11th in rush defense, 191 yards a game. 11th in rush defense, you know, 95 yards, or, or no, excuse me, 11th in rush defense, 95 yards a game, 3.7 yards per attempt. They're 11th in rushing offense, 191 yards a game, 3.7 per attempt. 15th in passing defense, 239 yards per game, 6 Six yards per attempt for passing defense. That's pretty good. You know, if they're holding teams to six point six yards per throw, that's pretty good. They're f- they have five passing touchdowns, two rushing touchdowns. They're tied for eighth in the league in sacks with Buffalo with five total sacks. They have a one and one record. They won against Tampa Bay last week by a margin of forty to seven. Not even close. No, it wasn't even close. It the was game was unwatchable. Blowout victory. So in the offensive scouting report, here's what I've gotten from looking over the numbers from their games. They're slow starters. One of the biggest things that's jumped off the page to me when I looked at their box scores. So the first two weeks, they didn't start quickly at all. They try to push and probe, and they, they call a lot of short running plays. In the first quarters of both of their football games, they are a combined negative 10 in scoring. I mean, they, they haven't scored at all in first quarters. Period. Now, the next thing I noticed about just their offense, Larry Fitzgerald, for everyone who wants to say he's old, he's not showing his age. According to Pro Football Focus, Larry Fitzgerald is playing like one of the elite wide receivers in football. You'd think he'd be dropping off, but he's shocking everybody. I mean, he's stepping up and showing that he's still a premier wide receiver. His run blocking is still elite. I mean, if anyone has any arguments, ask Tampa, Tampa's rookie receiver, Vernon Hargraves. He got pancaked. It's one of the, he was one of the only cornerbacks to be flat-out pancaked by a wide receiver this weekend in football. And he's got two touchdowns in two games, and one of them was just an absurd catch while he was being interfered with in the end zone. He is 100% a weapon for an offense that just, I mean, has a multitude of weapons. Which brings me to my next point. Dangerous wide receivers. Or even just dangerous receivers in general. They don't have a terrifying tight end on the roster the way the Patriots do. But they've got a premier pass-catching back in David Johnson. A physical deep threat in Michael Floyd. And then they've got Fitz, who he's one of the best route-running wide receivers in the game. And he's still got the hands to carve up a defense. Considering the show New York put on against our secondary, it'll be interesting to see if our defense has any plan in place to slow down the attack of the Cardinals. Because I, I bet you they're watching last week's tape and just licking their chops about how they can throw on our secondary. Now, to that end, surprisingly, they've been t- kind of tentative to throw the deep ball so far this season. But it seems like it's kind of ramping up. Now, when I take a look at my notes from just their, the way their season has gone so far, deep passing, week one, 
Out of 37 attempts, they only took eight deep shots, and they only completed twice for 57 yards. Last week, they went nine times on 35 attempts, but it was for four completions, 127 yards, and one touchdown. Now, I mean, I think that some of this could have something to do with the fact that Juron Brown, who is playing as their number three, isn't as fast as John Brown. John Brown was their last year's standout wide receiver in the slot. He was a speed guy. He caught seven touchdown passes, and most of it was just speed, breakaway, like deep flies. Well, he had a ridiculous concussion, and so he still, to start the season, he's only caught two passes for 10 yards a game. He's not ready to play NFL football, and I think that's what's hurting their deep game is that people know Michael Floyd goes deep, and people know Larry Fitzgerald works the underneath routes. They don't have that threat, that other speed threat, like a Marquise Goodwin type player, to just pop the lid off a defense. So when I look at their offense, I say, okay, you guys have these great wide receivers. You have a lot of good pass-catching backs. But you look at their passing attempts, they're not throwing deep. They're trying to work the, the lower to intermediate areas of the field because that's what they have at their disposal. I think that works to our advantage. And then again, rushing up the gut. The other thing I noticed about them statistically throughout their first two games, it just jumps off the page to me. Where most most teams do everything they can to get their running backs out in space. You know, they try to get to the edge of the defense. Arizona attacks teams right up the middle routinely. Week one, 19 rushes, 92 yards, and a touchdown. Up the middle of the defense, they ran for they ran 13 times for 76 yards and a touchdown. Everywhere else on the field, they only got six attempts for 16 yards. Now, that might speak to the strength of the New England Patriots, but then again in week two, up the middle, 14 rushes, 47 yards, and a touchdown. Everywhere else, 15 rushes, 54 yards, no touchdowns. They're still averaging just as many yards up the gut as they are to the outsides of the defense, where typically most of your big plays come from. That's terrifying for a Bills defense that's missing Marcel Darius and still doesn't have a true run-stopping D-tackle in the middle of our defense right now. Exactly what I was going to bring up. The absence of Marcel Darius is definitely going to hurt us if that's what they're doing, running up the gut. And then in our defensive scouting report, just to see what they're going to bring to the table. First off, a surprising lack of pressure. Now, given how good the defense was for the Cards last year, I'm shocked to see that they don't, they haven't generated a ton of pressure this season. I mean, it cost them the New England game because they couldn't get to Garoppolo enough to disrupt what he was doing. And even in that 40-7 beatdown of Tampa, they didn't generate consistent pressure until the end of the game. Their first-round pick, Robert Kimdichie, I mean, the guy was being mocked to Buffalo, pundits everywhere, thought he was a perfect fit for Buffalo's roster. And Doug Whaley decided to go with Shaq Lawson. People panned the pick, oh, he was injured, blah, 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 blah. Well, I'll tell you what, Robert Kimdichie, yeah, he has an ankle injury now, but he hasn't been active because he's not that good. Bruce Arians is flat out said, Kimdichie isn't good enough to play right now. Didn't you get into uh, an argument on Twitter? Oh, I did. I said fans had, someone said to me, oh, well, you know, fans out there, you know, Shaq Lawson had been put on the, you know, inactive list because he wasn't good and we drafted him the first round. Fans' heads would explode. And I said, you know, it's, I get that, you know, it's, you, 
you're weighing a guy who isn't playing because he's not playing well against a guy who's not playing because he's injured. You can't really weigh that out. But the fact is, is you're right. If Kim Dietschy had come here and we drafted him in the first round and then he was riding pine because he just wasn't performing well, yeah, people would jump off the deep end. That's what we do here in Buffalo. All I know is he's not the only one because Chandler Jones has also had some issues with his motor. According to Revenge of the Birds, which is the SB Nation affiliate for the Arizona Cardinals, kind of like Buffalo Rumblings. Fans have been talking all week about how Chandler Jones, just he's had issues with his motor. He performs well at times, but then other times he disappears. I think that their lack of pressure is something that might bode well for us, considering Cordy Glenn probably still won't be playing. Then they're going to bring out shutdown corners on defense. They're returning a secondary that is loaded with playmakers and veteran talent. You've got Patrick Peterson, Tony Jefferson, Tyron Matthew. I mean, the Patriots hurt them in the passing game, but they've proven over time that they're capable of clogging up throwing lanes and forcing a lot of turnovers. I mean, that's what they did last week to Jameis Winston. I would expect to see a lot of man press coverage on the outside and for their ball hawking safeties to be patrolling the seams looking for takeaways. And that brings me to my final point. They're dime packages. Because they have so many tweeners. Now, for anyone out there who's a football pundit or football like just a savant, you understand that the term tweener used to be a bad thing. When you heard a guy get called a tweener, it was it was almost like it was a a slight against them. Look no further than our training camp, Eric Stryker. Hey, he's a tweener. He's not he's not big enough to be a linebacker. He's not uh he's too he's too slow to be a safety. He's not big enough to be a linebacker. He's not big enough to play the D-line. Where do you play him? He's and, twi- he, and he's not fat enough to criticize our chicken wings. <laughs> well, so in the modern football era, guys who are too small to play linebacker but too slow to play a true safety have found a role as these tweener linebackers. And that's exactly what Tony Jefferson and Dayon Buchanan have done and Tyron Matthew to a point. He's not really a cornerback. He's not really a safety, but he does both, and he does them both very well. They have made a living off of this, and because they have this depth at this one specific odd position, they've kind of grown into their own defensive style, and they flood the field with safeties. They played dime defense more than any team in football last year, but that's because they trust the fact that their secondary can not only stop the run well as a safety would, but they can also protect the pass like a cornerback would or a linebacker up the seam. I honestly think that they're going to go to a deployment of three to four safeties routinely through this upcoming game to confuse Tyrod and try to force him into making mistakes. I've got a question for you as a the casual fan talking about tweeners. And I, I assume you have your tweeners of linebacker to defensive end and maybe a linebacker to safety. Mm-hmm. Which is like, what's like the break? picture? Brian Scott. Brian Scott was a longtime Bills player. He played for us on like almost like an in the box safety role, but he lined up at inside linebacker. He was a tweener. Is it easier for people coming out of college that's a tweener? Is it easier for them to transition to the NFL if they're a linebacker to safety tweener or a defensive end to linebacker tweener? I feel like it's easier to go from safety to linebacker or linebacker to safety. I feel like those are the easier transitions to make because you're used to sitting back, watching the play develop, and making your reads. You make a read off of where the ball gets snapped, and then you react to it. 
Whereas guys who are linebackers who then are kind of tweeners and get forced to go to the D-line because they're too slow to be a true linebacker, they struggle because they're not used to being in the trenches. They're not used to hand fighting. They're not used to having to do all the things that make D-linemen and outside linebackers successful. So that brings us to our one of our final segments here. Player you might not know but should. And this week's is number 41 for the Arizona Cardinals, Marcus Cooper. Hello, I've never heard of you before. Patrick Peterson gets all the love on the Arizona defense, but their two to three quarterback isn't a slouch either. Now, he got his opportunity last week as a number two because in the New England game, their starting number two cornerback got picked on repeatedly by Chris Hogan for a touchdown for a lot of for a lot of yardage. So this week they gave Marcus Cooper a shot at number two. And he took full advantage of it. He won NFC Defensive Player of the Week. Now, against Tampa Bay, he defended three passes, had seven tackles, and a pair of interceptions, one of which he took to the house for a touchdown. He is a very dangerous player on a team that has a lot of them already in the secondary. That's a guy that I think our offensive coordinator, whoever he might be, whether it's Lynn, whether it's Greg Roman, I don't care who it was calling plays. The fact is, is you're going to have to keep an eye on that guy. Because you know Patrick Peterson. You know what he's capable of. You know what Matthew is capable of. This guy's new. And so if he's just as dangerous, that presents a new wrinkle in how you have to attack this team. Well, and that's, that's one of the reasons, I guess, why Roman is no longer our offensive coordinator for his, and we talked about it with Eric Turner, for his lack of knowledge and creating plays within the passing game. And Rex is going to want Anthony Lynn to do that. And if he's going to start this week, it's going to be a bit of a challenge, I guess, with Marcus Cooper. So the Buffalo Bills keys to victory. First one, score early. Now, the Cardinals are also, much like the Miami Dolphins, we talked about it earlier, they aren't a team that starts quickly. Okay, In the first quarter, they've been outscored in all of their games. We have to try to jump on them early and often if we're going to have any shot at winning this football game. If it turns into a passing affair with us down by more than a score or two, it's going to allow them to just flood the field with their secondary like they like to do in that dime package, and it's going to turn into a nightmare for our offense. So I think we have to put them on their heels early and press them. Secondly, middle of the field passing game. We're going to have to try and make hay between the numbers against this defense. I mean, their press defense on the outside is going to dictate that we try to find plays elsewhere. I mean, you've got Patrick Peterson, the way this Cooper kid's been playing. They're going to take Sammy Watkins away. They're going to try to take Robert Woods away, or at least Charles Clay. You're going to have to find a Marquise Goodwin. You're going to have to find a a guy like Robert Woods. You're going to have to find these secondary and tertiary receivers who can make plays in that game because that's going to be the difference between us winning and losing. And then our run defense. We have to absolutely contain David Johnson in their rushing attack. If they get going on the ground and then start to use play-action passes to freeze our linebackers or safeties, they have the talent at wide receiver to absolutely victimize our secondary. I mean, we could see them really open up their passing game against us if their running game gets going. So it's going to be on our linebackers and our defensive line to set the tone early. Right, you run, you run to set up the pass, right? You, run, you do what the Ravens. You do what the Ravens did. You run blitz, and you just make them commit to throwing the ball and just pray that your secondary is up to the task of stopping them. 
Now, Chris, where can our Bills fans pretty much everywhere find the game? Every Wednesday, 506sports.com. They release the coverage map. Buffalo to Rochester and southern New York, northern PA are going to get the Bills game. All Basically all of Arizona. And if you live east of San Diego, you're going to get it. And for some reason, if you live on the southern border of Missouri and Kansas, <laughs> you're going to get the game on Fox. If you don't know, NFC team comes to an AFC house, it's on Fox. Mm-hmm. AFC team to an NFC team. It's on CBS. It's on Fox. No Spiro Ditas, because he doesn't work for Fox. Kenny Albert, Daryl Johnson. Kenny Albert. Oh, boy, what a treat. Let's see. I remember, what he, what game did he do last year? Oh, yeah, he did the Giants game, Penalty Fest. <laughs> All right, guys. So there you have it. Those are our keys to victory. That's what we're up against. It's going to be a rough week, but guess what? We've been through enough of them as Bills fans. So let's remember to stick together. That's what we do, right? We circle the wagons. We bring it in when things get tough. Well, that's what I'm asking all of you to do with me this week and for every week this season. Because win or lose, I'm here and I'm hoping you're here with me. You can hit me up if you have any comments, you got anything to say, at Rockpile Report on Twitter, rockpileReport716 at gmail.com. And be sure to check out our Facebook Live every Saturday night. At Buffalo, well, BillsFanaticsBF.com on Facebook. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been the Rock Pile Report. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.